This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. The changing world of medicine is one that is being affected greatly by technology available to us and that which is being developed as we speak. But according to a program at Philadelphia's Thomas Jefferson University Hospital and the Jefferson Health System, one area which needs to be focused on to improve the business of medicine is the design. Dr. Bon Koo is an associate professor of emergency medicine at Thomas Jefferson. He joins us in the studio along with our friend Steve Klatsko, who is the CEO of the Jefferson Health System. Steve, always great to see you. Thanks for coming back. Great to see you. It seems like every time I'm talking to you, it's about a revolution in healthcare. We had the telehealth revolution, the consumer revolution. Now we're going to talk to you about the design revolution. Uh, it's all happening at Jefferson. I know. It's interesting. Bon, nice to meet you. Thanks for coming over. Good morning. Excited to be here. Wow. He's wow. Know, he's got that radio radio voice. Uh, he's got a better radio voice than I do. I've got to watch. If you, if you need a career outside of medicine, you've, you've got something set. Uh, but it is interesting, as you said, that we've talked about a lot of kind of revolutions within the medical realm. Why design? Well, I'm, I'm going to turn this. I'm going to turn this over to Bond. But it, it's sort of great week to talk about this because I had a chance to uh, interview for the Arts and Business Council an individual named Bruce Mao, who okay. uh, who runs something called Massive Change. Who's actually done the design for Mecca, the Mecca, and yeah. his point is the core of optimism is design. And, w- and when industries are going through a major change, your experience is designed. So last time we were here, we were talking about things moving to a consumer experience in healthcare. It's not just good enough to say, all right, we're going to go and take care of you in the emergency. What's the experience? Well, Bond is not only involved in transforming and disrupting that experience, but actually creating a college within a yeah. college so that our students really can understand design with places like Princeton involved. So, Bond, you might want to just sort of talk a little bit about what you do during the day. Sure. I run a design program at Sydney Kimmel Medical College. So it's a first design program for a medical school in the country. We take students during their first year of medical school and we teach them design methodology. And this involves empathy, rapid prototyping, and iteration. And we teach them before they enter their preclinical years how to solve healthcare problems through design methodology to mm-hmm. really think outside the box and become creative problem solvers. How, how important is this for the future doctors right now and, and getting them in that first year? I think it's vitally important because in medical school, we are good memorizers and we're pretty good technicians, but I think we are not great problem solvers. I think in order to innovate in healthcare, we need to really redesign how we train and teach doctors of the future. So I think we need to equip them for tools in the rapidly changing landscape of healthcare. So, so last time we were here, we talked about the fact that we still accept students based on science, GPA, med cats, and organic chemistry grades, <laughs> yeah. and somehow we're amazed that doctors aren't more empathetic, communicative, and creative. So uh, under Bond's leadership, we've now done a partnership with uh, Princeton University uh, around, and, and it's really cool because it's exactly what we talked about. It's going to students say, before we suck the creativity out of you uh, <laughs> by, by forcing you to memorize every organic chemistry formula, 
go and major in something really cool. Take the minimum amount of science course you have to take, and you're into Jefferson, not right. not accelerated. Yeah. Do you want you want to talk a little about that and, and what kind of students you hope to get out of that? Yeah, absolutely. We accept uh, students during their sophomore year, and we don't make them take the MCAT because we feel like we could teach them at medicine when they get to medical school, and yeah. really want them to use their undergraduate experience to explore and be creative to take design classes. And we want to attract a different type of a medical student to um, to our to our school. For example, I was a humanities major here. I was a classical studies major, and oh, yeah. there's less than five percent of med school applicants who are humanities majors. We traditionally just take biology majors. So, so really, students when they think that they want to be a doctor and, and in their undergrad, maybe they're they're just focused so much on getting to that next step of being a doctor that they miss a lot of opportunities along the way. Absolutely. I, a lot of students are reluctant to go to medical school and because they look at it just at this massive amount, years of memorizing and jumping through all these loopholes. And yeah. so I think we lose a lot of students who are innovative and creative to other fields that do it better than us, like the tech industry. So, well, and, and let's tie this to Wharton, because I think one of the things that Wharton has done very well when I did WEMBA, the executive MBA program, is they got to a point where they said, we want to round out our class. Yeah. Um, you know, just like Jefferson, we have 12,000 applicants for our 290 slots. And if all we look at is science, GPA, and MedCats, we're going to get a certain kind of host. Sure. Why did a gynecologist from Allentown get into Wharton? Because they wanted to round out their class instead yep. of just getting all finance people. So the ability for us to say, look, there's some people that we need to get in here. They're going to be physician scientists. They're going to be technicians. But getting that human component and not just having the look to the left of you, look to the right of you, yeah. and rounding out our class. Those kids from Princeton, over 10 years, will have 150 of the smartest, most creative folks on the planet that probably won't go out and become physician NIH scientists. They yeah. might go and start their own companies. They might go and teach. They might go and practice. But they'll be very, very different. What What is it, though, that... that really kind of got you going down this path uh, of thinking about design and, and that being an important component for future doctors? What, what, what was kind of the key? I just shared a personal story. I work in the emergency department and I was getting frustrated seeing some of the same problems in healthcare show up at our doorstep. And I felt frustrated because I felt I cannot change the system. And and a lot of us in medicine become jaded, a little bit cynical, mm -hmm. and design affords that opportunity to really say, how, how can we change a system? And and it, it creates that optimism that we can pivot the needle in healthcare. So in some respects, you're, you're going to have not only doctors, but you're going to potentially have some architects, you know, in, in terms of the process of, of medicine. We, we would love that. We, we, we need more right uh, brain thinkers in medicine. And you know, most of us don't realize that everything in healthcare is design, right? Someone designed the pills that we swallow, those sure. gowns that we wear, examination rooms. It's just because I think most of it's designed poorly. Uh, and we too often settle for design mediocrity in healthcare. Right. So, so I think what's, what the really operative word here is optimism. You know, I, yeah. I, I, I've mentioned to you before that when I started my job here at Jefferson, somebody said the two things you don't want to be running in the next three years are academics and healthcare. And I said, dang, I just took a job in academic healthcare. And if you go around the most places, people are really depressed. Why? Because they're thinking about things the way it used to be. Yeah. Um, and if you don't think you have the skill sets to fundamentally 
do well in a disruptive environment, yeah. then you get depressed. The great thing about what's happening uh, at Jefferson, and Bond's a, a, a great part of it, we have this whole division of coolness, of which, of, of which Bond's <laughs> part of, um, is that literally he's leading this, this movement toward, hey, change could be good for us. Yeah. And let's let's use this to change the way that people experience the emergency room or our students experience this. And not everybody gets it. Yeah. People say, how did you go through a 180 degree change at Jefferson and not have a faculty revolt? It's partly because we're giving people the skill sets that they need. By the way, Bon, I, I have an email and I can show it to you as proof, if need be, that he said, you're a cool guy. <laughs> so I can show that to you, if, if need be. You Excellent for that to Just me. save that one for, you know, for later on in Listen, life. when you're a 61 year old president, everybody's <laughs> sure. Okay. All right. I understand. Uh, we're talking with Steve Klatsko of uh, Thomas Jefferson uh, University Hospital, uh, the CEO of the Jefferson Health System. Dr. Bond Koo is an associate professor of emergency medicine at Thomas Jefferson. I would think that, that being a, an emergency room doctor and, and seeing, and, and I saw an article that, that you had done, you had seen patient after patient that basically were repeats. And that had to be frustrating at, at some point and want you to want to spur this change on. Yes, it's really easy to blame patients, and especially those uh, patients who are superutilized of, uh, of the healthcare system. But when you do a human-centered approach, you really want to put yourself in the shoes of the patient and think, why am I continually using emergency care services? What is it about it in my social situation or my lifestyle that keeps me coming back to the emergency department? So instead yeah. of blaming the patient, we, we really try to look at what it looks like through the patient's eyes. And, and the, the, the thinking that you probably will get from some of these students on not just you know the, the, the specific policies that will be put in place with the with the hospitals going forward but the design of the hospital itself you know hey we need to change the emergency room to make it more convenient you know for for the patients or you know a variety of different aspects of it it's kind of limitless the the potential for change correct Yes, we just this past week we did a workshop with the architecture firm here in Philadelphia where I challenged my students to think like architects and we actually designed a floor plan for um, um, a hospital wing and it was a great challenge and really uh, had the students use their right side of their brain and think about what these <laughs> spaces would look like. and. We settle for design mediocrity, mediocrity, like I said, like when we design hospitals, uh, we should design, we should want to design the best and most beautiful building, which happens to be a hospital, but instead we design mediocre buildings. And if there are any donors out there that want to build the building, it's steven.classico at jefferson.edu. <laughs> Just stick that one right in there if, if sorry, you can. Sorry, Penn. But, but, but it is interesting, though, that when you think about the, the, the future, and we've talked so much about the future of healthcare uh, with you over the last several months, is that the thinking part of it is maybe something that we don't think about as much as we probably should. Well, and, and look, I think that um, the the big change that's going to come is the generational change. Sure. You yeah. know, the same yep. folks yep. that, you know, what, what makes Uber special is not just the ride. It's the experience. I mean, not necessarily experience in the car, but the experience of the app. And a good part of what Bon and, and folks like Neil Gomes, who we can maybe have on, on the show at some other time, is to really start to look at that experience, that how you experience Jefferson from your home, if you're a student from your home, to the classroom, to the hospital. And so it's the buildings, it's the apps, it's the telehealth, it's the communication. Um, yeah. 
And it's basically trying to think about what what's going to be obvious 10 years from now and start to try to do it today. I, I would think that probably some of the, the students that you will have running through this program are the ones that probably do have ideas for a new cool app or, you know, some something that will will be transitional in the medical field at some point. They're inspiring. They are there are no they have so many ideas and we're just tapping them through design methodology and they're thinking about how to create new solutions and and space design and service design and device design and they're they're hungry for this and it's it's really amazing to see them uh, approach healthcare this way. Here's the coolest thing that's happening. You, you, I'll give you a number of the day. Um, 35%. Yeah. 35% of Stanford's medical students never go and take a residency in 2015. Huh. They basically decide to go to medical school so that they can start new companies or do new things, but yeah. they feel they need that medical training. Now, you can get into a philosophic argument, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Did you waste the medical education on somebody that's not going to be you know, uh, doing surgery or whatever? I think it's a great thing, because yeah. I think what's happening is we're getting these young people to think about healthcare in a different way. Well, and, and I think that we, we would agree with the fact that you know, healthcare in general, if we can develop different processes and different you know, ideas out there, if we get all of those ideas going forward to the point where we are making people healthier before so that no disrespect to the hospital that we don't have a use for the hospital right. as much for those patients, then we've we've really accomplished something, correct? Right. So, 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 Bond, what, what I what, what might make sense to talk a little bit about is how we've organized this. I think one of the things that's different about what we've done in an entrepreneurial academic model is to take these things like innovation and and college within a college and design, and instead of putting them over there and creating the department, putting it right in the core. Mm -hmm. So. You know, you um, Bond's in the dean's office. Neil Gomes is in IST. You know, the telehealth people are right in 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 my office. The innovation person we just hired from Duke to run our innovation pillar is one of four people that reports to me. The end of the day, in most places, that's over. Oh, this is our our coolness stuff. They're over on the side someplace. Yeah, this is right at the core. So it's almost like one of those invasion of the body snatchers. Every <laughs> single one of our conservative pieces has a Bond. Uh, there that is basically changing the way they all think. Historically, we've really outsourced innovation, and we are really trying to develop innovation within by changing how we train doctors, train, change how we uh, train students. So we want that innovation to come within the health system how, as well. How big of a change, though, is that then for the core uh, of the medical community to be able to kind of, instead of outsourcing that, bring that in-house and keep it in-house? It's... It's inspiring for uh, for many of the physicians and students that we have. For example, we had a healthcare hackathon a few weeks ago, and we invited <laughs> uh, engineers and students and designers and entrepreneurs to Jefferson. And over a weekend, we looked at how we can solve these wicked problems in healthcare. So we had a how do we re reduce readmissions track? We had how do we use drone technology to improve healthcare delivery? Hmm. How do we use wearables to improve health and it's we were really providing that vehicle for people to think outside the box and create solutions so it, it, it's a great example of, of why having them in the organization matters so it started with a million dollar grant from independence group for for in, innovation and mm -hmm. in most medical schools that would have gone to the provost and the head of the hospitals and just got put into the overall thing we brought it to these guys and said what would be the coolest thing we could do and it ended up here we're 192 year old 
institution. I'm leading something with somebody, nobody that's within 30 ages of, uh, years of me talking about drones, talking about wearables. And yeah. we use that million dollars to become really one of the most innovative things. We're working with NextFab. We're working with places from Drexel, Penn, all over the country, really, around how can drones affect healthcare? How can wearables affect healthcare? That that's interesting. So, how how can drones affect healthcare? So, the the winning team use had had this concept of how do we find victims who are in a disaster like an earthquake? Okay, and so they um, built a device. Basically, it's a Arduino, which is a programmable computer chip and put a hearing sensor on it. And so they would fly their drones where these uh, earthquake victims are and they would drop these sensors that they could actually listen to where the patients are at. So it was a rough prototype, but they were able to do that within 36 <laughs> hours. It's it's amazing what you could do when you when you give people the tools uh, to do that. And, and they don't sleep and they have a lot of pizza and Red Bull. That, there, I mean, there, <laughs> there was a lot of coffee that was consumed over that weekend, for sure. But that's interesting. I mean, you know, for you being in the medical community for, for as many years as you have, to see this change in, in how medicine is viewed and where it's going to go has to be even staggering for you. Well, it is, but you know what, what's fun leading an organization that's actually you know more optimistic about the future than the past. It's fun to not be fighting it. I mean, that that's yeah. what's really fun. You know, you know, we think about it. It was probably a lot of fun working for Apple in 2000 when they were moving from a computer company to a digital yeah. company. It might have not have been much fun working in Microsoft watching Apple do that. You know, we like to view ourselves in a place that has five academic medical centers yeah. as that young Apple uh, that's sort of, you know, looking at things differently. And, you know, we've had faculty members come to us and say, boy, you know, it just seems like your folks are having fun. You have some of the same external pressures that we do. Why are you guys having fun? Well, it's because yeah. of things like spending the weekend talking about drones and not about <laughs> Obamacare. <laughs> how, how, how much do you expect the, the doctors that you will be involved with over the years really to change? Like, I mean, I'm sure you see it now. But, but you know, their philosophy on being a doctor will be significantly different I over the next 10 years. Most people who enter into medical school, they want to help people. But medical training is so long, right? We have yeah. four years of medical school, yep. a minimum three to five years of residency, then one to three years of fellowship. And that really beats out that idealism that these medical students come in with. And... By getting these students in their first year and, and and showing them that optimism and how we can change healthcare through design methodology, I hope that will keep within them during during that long training process. What were some of the initial pushbacks you had? So, I mean, I imagine when we first started this, I mean, other than me saying, go do it, because <laughs> my job is I get to say, hey, go go do cool things, and then he has to go and convince the, uh, uh, the faculty that we're gonna do this. I get a lot of funny looks. Most people think design is just making things look pretty, but that is the <laughs> total opposite. And most of it is how do we improve that patient experience in, yeah. in the hospital, in the emergency department, in the waiting room, and so a lot of it's just educational to uh, my colleagues, my students, that design is fundamental in how we can reshape healthcare. And it's and it's the whole process. I mean, it's not just like with your part of it, you know, with emergency medicine. Obviously, it's the part afterwards when the, in their recovery as well. Correct. And looking outside of the walls of the hospital, most of us are patients for, for a very brief moment in time and how do we reach people at their house and 
and we're we have a large telehealth effort that yeah. we're we're doing that that you know looking at patients a lot of them don't want this traditional brick and mortar type of um, hospital experience I'm guessing that even that in some respects this may even go at some point to sustainability issues as well Abs- absolutely you know we have a huge constraint with cost and yeah. and but it's okay with with design we're we're working around how can we make affordable solutions we look a lot towards the maker movement and these are tinkerers and designers who use low cost technologies to make them affordable for for most of us so so you know just getting to the sustainability issue i think i think the evolution of healthcare is that for a while it didn't matter how inefficient we were because there sure. was just enough money to cover it. Yeah. Then we got into this lean six sigma type thing, which was really just going in and cutting things out and cutting unnecessary stuff out. I think we're getting to sort of, if you will, 3.0, which is really more okay. So now that I'm leaner, what are some really cool things I can do to make patients safer that really have a design piece to it? There are people inventing, you talk about falls. Well, there's lots of ways you can look at falls, but one of the things they're designing things is for maybe a, a thin coating of people that if they were to fall, it would be like a, a human airbag. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you're always going to have people falling out of beds or whatever, and this way, they're not going to get hurt. So starting to think about design as really the solution, and to your point, not just a little, oh, isn't that cool, you made the gowns nicer. Not <laughs> Did you make the gowns nicer? But if you fall, you're not gonna you're not gonna have a hip fracture. I would love that they're not open in the back. We gotta change that. Boy, if you can figure that one out, then then you should win the Nobel Prize uh, on that. Uh, where do you see this going? I mean, because this is, in some respects, this is in its infancy right now, correct? It, it is, but we are seeing a lot more in other sectors of business. Um, IBM, there's a recent New York Times article on design thinking within IBM, and they're hiring actually 1,500 designers and they're banking on design thinking to change their culture. The Harvard Business Review dedicated one of their fall magazines to design thinking. I think this is going to be a way that we transform cultures within large organizations. Uh, I'm optimistic that we're going to see a lot of innovation come through this type of thinking. And this is how we're going to sort of... um this is how we're going to expand the cult, if you will. We, we started something called an Institute for Emerging Health Professions. So the, the goal behind the Institute for Emerging Health Professions is if healthcare is going to transform, there's going to be jobs that we need 10 years from now that don't even exist today. Sure, yeah. And if you think about a university, if we know that, and I started that today between developing the curriculum and then getting the students, that would be 10 years. Yep, yep. So as through the Institute for Emerging Health Professions, we want to be one of the leaders, and we're going to partner with some of the undergraduate schools in the country to create new again, Dr. Coos, that really want to go and expand this further and teach us. And our goal is to have this become part of every medical school curriculum. The first two years of medical school are repeating just about everything that you did or that you could get on an online course. The last year year of medical school is really just a, a lot of electives. To not be really imbuing design thinking, emotional intelligence, cultural competence, healthcare financing. So our goal is to totally, totally disrupt the curriculum for healthcare because it hasn't changed in 50 years. Right. There's nothing else that hasn't changed in 50 years maybe other than you're in my hairline. And Yeah, no question about that. And then the end result, if all of that is put into place and, and, and goes according to plan, is what? 
Well, the end result, selfishly, is uh, for Jefferson, is that we become known as a national model for an entrepreneurial academic design model in health education, which is a nice brand to have. The end result uh, for the United States of America is that we have doctors that get it. That when you talk to your doctor and he says, oh, I hate Obamacare, why do you hate it? Because it's not what it used to be. Is yeah. I'm really excited about Medicaid expansion because now I can think about how I can provide those patients that weren't getting health care and experience, but it's going to have to be different than the experience I had before because they, they can't get into to my office, and I've come up with designs, et cetera. So I'm excited about solving that problem yeah. instead of either waiting for entrepreneurs to solve it for them or just complaining that things are different. Well, and that's just it. And you know, even the complaints that you, know, you may have heard 10 or 15 years ago, you're probably still going to hear a few of them in the next few years, but it's, it's that process of kind of building towards that time where maybe you don't have as many complaints that you have to deal with. Yeah, but but you know what happens, and you know, I think Bond's seen it too, is that if there's something in, in medical school called hidden curriculum, you take these optimistic, amazing, idealistic kids, yeah. and by the time they graduate from a traditional medical school, they're as cynical and jaded as the 59-year-old surgeons. Yeah. We don't have a curriculum that teaches them how to be that, but that's what they've heard. Yeah. What's starting to happen, thanks to, to Jefferson and Bond's efforts, is that the students are becoming infectious. So what's happening is it's hard to be around our students and, you know, say, oh, boy, Dr. Clasco, you are so lucky to be leading. A, you know, I just had a tough budget meeting, but you are so lucky to be leading a university during this time. I, go, I am. Oh, yeah, I am. So what we're starting to see is some of the, the faculty, instead of the faculty teaching the students to be jaded, those college within the college design students are teaching the faculty to be optimistic. And then they don't need the Red Bull. And then they don't need any drugs. It's really beautiful. Uh, is cool the word you hear from him a lot? All the time. <laughs> exactly. That's what I figured. Yeah. Great to meet you. Uh, all the best with this. Thank you very much for coming in. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.